Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Keenan Bonner, and the matchup we'll be getting into this week is 2017's Good Time versus 2000's Memento. Keenan, I won't ask how you're doing today, but I dare say, hopefully, you're feeling better than last week. It's probably about on par, to be honest. At least you're in a position to be able to record this week, which is uh, what we want to hear. We will start today with good time. Nick, it's good. We should talk about this. Uh, This is good stuff we're talking about. Excuse me. You Peter? Yes, I am. We're in the middle of... Hello. Nick, what are you doing? We're in the middle of something here. We're in the Come middle on, of the exam. Hey, hey, Nick, about Nick. The stuff and the, the pan and the wait, chicken. Wait, 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 please. How Nick. would you like it if I made you cry? How would you like that? No, I would not. But Come on, can, get up. But they told me I had to do this stuff. Let's go. Let's go. No, but he wrote me. He tells all my stuff. Nick, 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 shut up then. This is my work. This is my stuff, okay? Oh, shame on you, kind brother. Shame on me? You're not helping Shame on you. Shame on you. After a botched bank robbery lands his younger brother in prison, Connie Nikus embarks on a twisted odyssey through New York City's underworld to get his brother Nick out of jail. Now, neither of us had seen this going into it. I think just about the only thing I knew that it was Robert Pattinson was in it and it was by the makers of Uncut Gems. Oh, I didn't even know that until you told me. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, that was all I knew and I'd heard good things about it. So there was some level of pressure on it, but I didn't really know what to expect. Having seen it, what do you think the critics thought of it? Uh, I actually know. I think I know the answer to this because I looked yesterday. Uh, big fans. Got a lot of ratings. Yeah, basically. Anchored by a career-best performance by Pattinson, it's an unforgettable work that will rattle you in all the best ways. Pattinson once again proves his abilities to disappear into a fully fleshed-out characterization. Here is a selfish yet sympathetic deadbeat. For the most part, you'll either be rolling your eyes or laughing uproariously. Either way, the final scene, which continues as the credits roll, is so unexpectedly gracious and tender that don't be the least bit surprised if a couple of tears spill. A near perfect blend of colourful cinematography, frenetic editing and a pulsing score, creating a grungy, rave-like aesthetic that is nothing is like nothing else we've seen on the screen this year. And finally, the Safdie brothers have concocted a dive bar cocktail of a film. Grotty, thrilling, mind-altering, always engrossing and not something you'll forget anytime soon. Probably sums it up quite nicely. Yeah. Aesthetically, I did associate it even beforehand with just kind of the neon colours. Just from scrolling past it on Netflix a couple of times, it always did stand out just for the way they have done that. Um, If we take a look at the trivia, and I thought if we start with Robert Pattinson and just 
how he finds himself in this role and then the the way he's able to deliver on it. So according to Josh Safdie, he says there was just an element of Rob that was really kind of exposing that I wanted to bring to his character. His energy, he's almost on the run all of the time. He had this Vietnam War vet quality, like he'd been through something very traumatic. He's constantly trying to avoid kind of being seen all the time, which comes from his level of fame. It was like he had PTSD from that Twilight Stardom experience, and I remember being very specifically location scouting with Rob. We're in an off-the-beaten-path place, and people just started taking pictures, and I saw it in his face. He almost went into war mode in his mind. Uh, then he has a weird analogy about a cat. Uh, he just thinks that everyone is watching, and he has this on-the-run quality to him, someone who's been walking through life trying not to be seen and always slinking around. I really thought he could bring that to this character. So from what I've seen of him before, and I saw it with some of the Batman coverage where he does seem a bit more comfortable now. He does seem like one of these famous people who I guess would just rather they aren't like that isn't what they're in this business for. Um, I guess it, comes across that way and he's able to apply it to the character so the way these actually end up working together because the Safdie brothers aren't what they are now like their name blows up after uncut gems Rob Pattinson the story goes he happened to just see a photograph uh, of a poster that they put together for a film they did called Heaven Knows What in 2014 and there's this actress called Aria Holmes and she's surrounded in all this pink neon light. And he just tracked down a contact for them and sent them this incredibly long email just saying based off this one photo he'd seen, it was just everything that he wanted to be involved in in his next project and just essentially said, whatever you do next, I want to be a part of it. I'll work on the set. I just need to be around you guys working. They went back to him and asked if he'd even seen the film yet, and he hadn't. This was all just based on this one picture. And they said, it's very weird, but that's also the kind of person that we want to be working with, someone that does have this kind of energy and enthusiasm for our work. They go and have a meeting, and not too long later, this role comes up, and they they write it around him, and they say it, it just fit perfect. Yeah, it's a very, it's a, it's a very good fit, in fairness. Um, I mean, in terms of his uh, commitment to the role, dyes his hair so many times that his hair's falling out by the end of filming, and that's why he uh, shaves his head. And how you get that mugshot of him for when they show it on the TV during this. Um, I think some of these guys, some of these actors and actresses, feel like they need to do a role like this just to feel like they're being taken seriously. Like, yeah. I know superhero projects are, they pay you a lot of money and the kind of whole Marvel like renaissance has been because they have these legit actors being added into these billion dollar projects. But sometimes I think they're worried about being boxed in and particularly after Twilight when the guy can, can't even move. It's easy to just say, well, he's not a serious actor when quite clearly he is. Yeah, I think he always wanted to be, didn't he? And he did possibly needed something like this. Maybe I don't know if it was this or maybe before, but he probably did need something to allow him to move to that next level. 
he 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 says still that he didn't think Twilight was going to be as big as it was. That wasn't how it was sold to him. I don't. You may need to turn me down a little bit. We're getting quite a lot of echo back. Uh, you're right, go on. Um, yeah, he he said that he didn't think Twilight was going to be that big. That wasn't how it was sold to him. It was sold as this low budget film that teenage girls were going to like, basically. And then it goes on to do, I think, four times the budget on the first film and just go crazy from there. And I think, really, if he didn't like fame before, he's being followed around by paparazzi constantly by the end of the final film. And so is his co-star, obviously, Kristen Stewart, who I think has a similar relationship with the press to the point where they're in a relationship at the time. She gets exposed for cheating on him with the director of Twilight in the press. and. Then he kind of goes into hiding even more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the, the cheating thing was probably a bit of a blow in fairness. Because it's not... Something that happens to a famous person, if they were if they were semi... Say if they're semi-interested in following you around before, they're always going to try and catch you at your lowest, aren't they? Yeah, and then the Safdies... At this point, they know exactly what they want for the role. They have all these things in place where they want it to feel like uh, almost like a school project kind of way. I'm not telling this very well. In terms of the filming, they wanted it to be as low-key as possible. The whole thing with dyeing his hair and just the way they had Robert Pattinson around, he was able to walk through New York without getting any attention at all. And so they're able to do things like when they're being chased through the mall uh, after the bank after the bank scene they do that without closing it off to the public despite having the offer to do so um and something i think does come across really well the only people that were given a script for this film were robert pattinson and uh, benny Safdie, who plays his brother mm. everyone else was just basically told what the scene was going to be and to act around that it's interesting because like uh shameless plug the my man tommy Komenik, who we got on after uncut gems he was plucked off of a building site when he just saw a woman staring at him and she called him across saying i think you're gonna my uh, boss is gonna want to see you almost everyone else outside of uh i got his name down i think it's something burgess the guy that plays uh the guy that falls out of the building and the two brothers everyone else there is a first-time actor in this and that seems to be a thing they really like doing, but it comes across well in selling just all of the different parts of society that they do have in the film. Yeah. Safdie says that all of their films, they feel like they're drawn to stories about the misfits of society, he says, because they're all winners, in my opinion. They're all heroic. Connie's a very heroic person and that he's not willing to accept his situation. He does a lot of despicable things in this movie, which we'll get to, but it's in the name of a dream, a vision, and a purpose. And so to prepare for the brothers' relationship, Pattinson and Safdie would just write each other letters in the form of emails to try and get themselves in character. Uh, Pattinson said he would write as Connie about four months prior to getting out of jail. Yeah and just try to get into the character that way. And much like in the film Dodgeball, they actually went and did like a car wash together, uh, just set it up, but somewhat in character just to get the relationship of how they would speak to each other and 
Pattinson having to kind of excuse his brother and all these little things. I think he does somewhat buy into the method acting thing that we always do discuss on here, but not in the way that he's going out being an asshole to people just on the excuse that, oh, look, I was in character. Mm. Yeah, he'd be a pretty fairly horrid bloke if he was doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so what I was saying before, they say to try and achieve authenticity and not draw attention, they filmed on as lowbrow equipment as they could to the point they were able to film him on the subway in rush hour without drawing attention to them. They said anyone that kind of asked them what they were doing, they said it was a social work project. And the whole way through, not one picture of Robert Pattinson was taken on a mobile phone and put on social media, anything. Mm. So let's, let's talk about the film actually for what it is. Did you like the film? It was pleasantly surprising in that I knew nothing about it other than the synopsis and I didn't hold out a lot of hope for it. Um, and then you watch the first, I don't know, the, the first five, it starts well, doesn't it, to be fair. You've got yeah. the opening with obviously your man in the therapy class and then, I mean, it pretty much just bangs straight into a bank robbery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which I'm a big fan of, as you know well know, not Robin Banks as an act, but in films I do love it. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if it's just the music or just the fact that the shots in uh, this kind of therapy session are just so close up to uh, Nick's face. It just feels uncomfortable, like immediately. It's awkward when the brother's coming in to get him out of the session. Yeah. And I think he says right at the start of the film, he says, you think you're one of these people? You think you're one of them? And they show that other patients in this facility can can hear that, can see that. And so you feel awkward for them. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a horrible way to start the film, but conveys their relationship very well. And then he kisses him on the head in the lift, doesn't he? He hugs him and says something like, you don't ever have to worry with me. Yeah. And so you get an idea early on about this relationship in that he really is trying to do what's best for his brother but it's that's not the case it's he's just, almost it, doing it, it selfishly even if he is it's, it's just from it's unfortunately from a warped perspective so you never you're always going to struggle to find the right the, the, the best if that makes sense yeah it's like in uh you see in films when someone is told that a character they know is dead and they're like, no, he's not and they, they won't accept that this has happened. And as much as he recognizes that there are some issues with his brother, he doesn't want to accept that he's on that level where he needs help. And whether it's a pride thing or, or what he thinks that he can provide just as much for his brother as anyone else can. And so, yeah, you, you mean, find you yourselves in this circumstance. The strange thing about it is you don't know that he can't, you just never, you never find out. You just, you lose that too early, didn't you? Yeah, I guess you get an inclination at the end, which we'll speak about with how the brother reacts in that situation. Yeah. But you you never get the feeling that anything he's doing with his brother is malicious. Selfish, but not malicious. He is genuinely doing it with the best intentions. Yes, yeah, he's trying he's trying to reach what he thinks is the best scenario, but like I say, it's all yeah. about perspective there, isn't it? Yeah. There, there's no 
even from the first scene of the film, there's no real like theme or structure within the editing. And I think that does help in keeping you on edge as much as it does. I want to speak separately about the bank job scene, but everything through that is just so, so nuts. Like the banging on the door and the Domino's pizza had me as frustrated and uncomfortable and anything just as much as the entire film. Sorry, I lost you a little bit. And say that, say that again. Even just when they're trying to wipe the dye off in the in the pizza oh, toilets, yeah. and the guy's banging on the door, just something as trivial as that has you as on edge as them trying to escape from the police like two minutes earlier. It's crazy how they do it. I don't know if it's the music. I don't know if it is the editing. They just create this sense of dread immediately, and they do the same with uncut gems and it should be that we're comparing uncut gems to this but the both of us saw uncut gems first you can very much tell it's the same people making it because yeah they just have that same feeling nailed yeah it's way the way it's shot the lighting in some of it the lighting plays a really massive part and more so than in most films i'll be honest yeah I saw a review and they described it as Pattinson's face being almost like a blank canvas and they just used like the lighting throughout just to paint these different pictures across him, whether it's at night and he's going into the street lamps, whether it's the amusement park and you have all these other bright lights going across him, whether it's just the the yellowy white lights in the uh, therapist's office. There's just so much going on. And his expressions obviously coupled up with that add to it. Yeah. As far as heist scenes go, right from the start it feels off. You've got these two white guys posing as a a pair of black guys in this heavy construction gear. They've got these very these masks with these real like racial undertones to it where it's essentially every stereotype of a black person that is very outdated and it's just applied in this one mask that is right on the borderline of just looking completely unrealistic. I mean, somehow they get away with it in uh, in public, but they're just horrible, aren't they? The way he's pulling it away from his face, just how thick the mask is. Yeah. But up there with one of the best masks for a bank robbery, though. Yeah, somehow, even with all of this, it's kept just on the side of believable. Like, they cause no immediate sense of panic in the way that it's done. Uh, The disguises work. And the brothers walk out calmly with just over $60,000 in cash. (laughs) And it's one of those moments where whether you've seen the synopsis or whether you just understand how films work, you know they aren't getting away with this, but there's just a split second maybe when they get to the car and they have the little peer over their shoulder. There's no police behind them. Oh, these guys might actually get away with this. And then very quickly you realise otherwise. Yeah, as soon as he makes it, as soon as he makes the sprint away from the police, you know they're bang in trouble. Yeah, we've all seen enough films as well, haven't we, to know that they always say when they're trying to show how good bank robbers they are, you don't take into what the bottom 
the bottom bills out of the till or whatever, mm-hmm. they, they leave some notes in there and they always say, no, don't try that with me. You leave those in there. And the dye pack, not that I think we'd be doing a better job if we were going to our local Barclays. The dye pack is very much used as a look at these idiots trying to rob a bank. I've, uh, I've always wanted to know how they work like properly. So these ones they, are these ones are this one's fairly simple. It's obviously got an alarm in it, but you see some, and you saw. I mean, this is only from films, but you see like the ones they get where you pull out a note, or you open yeah. up that you go to and split the money, and then it explodes. Yeah. But all I want to know is, in that case, if I get back, like in those case of those ones, surely you would just be a case of um, you just pull the bills out one at a time, wouldn't you? You lose what you lose. Yeah, because for th- for this this isn't how these packs work they do this very much for the film and it has the desired effect because it, it does look like you're pulling your hair out watching them like what the hell get out of there and it's taking so long the pink is just so blatantly obvious i think traditionally it would be more like in 30 minutes or less where it's designed basically it's just staying the notes isn't it it's not really designed to cake you in it it's not like a anti-graffiti paint or whatever anti-vandal paint where it's just all over you and it's like look this guy is a vandal it's more just you can't use any of these notes now because they're all ruined yeah i think so um i i think so well i suppose maybe there is an element of trying to paint someone blue or whatever their color is and then that should make them somewhat distinguishable it's usually in a bag though isn't it it's not usually going to be yeah going like that that's like everton at the end of last season letting flares off like that I mean, even this was from the bank's perspective, the money's all insured anyway, so as long as you're not spending it, they're not all fussed. No, because Robert Pattinson got in trouble on the press tour here where they said about bank robberies, and he was like, well, they're far more common than you think. He said, I spoke to someone when I was doing my research for the film, and the guy was like 21 years old, and he was just getting out of prison, and he'd stolen over 60,000's worth by just going around the banks and you just ask for 10,000. He said, they're more than happy to give it to you because it's all insured anyway. He said, it's far easier than you think. And then said, I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have just told you how easy it is to rob a bank. Yeah, the people who work there don't care. No. It's money. Nor should they. <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, he, he got in a bit of trouble for effectively selling the film by saying, look, robbing banks is far easier, far easier than you think. And it's easy to get away with as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I think that's that's a difficult part. Getting the money is one thing, but there's another problem. Yeah, yeah. Even even just seeing them take their like outfits off after they've left the bank, you, you're feeling anxious. Like, why are they taking so long to do this? He's stopping around, telling his brother how proud of him he is. He says, "God bless you" constantly, which usually applies to older people over here. I gather it's more of a when I was reading, they say there's some people in New York that will say this to you, whether you open the door for them or, or whether you picked up a hundred pounds and gave it to them. It's just, it's just rolls off the tongue for some types of people. And that's what he's supposed to be conveying here. But I don't know the stress, whenever the police start rolling up slowly and we did it on the town, didn't we, where he's walking slowly behind Jeremy Renner and you're just waiting for it to pop off. His brother obviously doesn't understand the playing it cool, and so he just legs it, and off you go. Yeah. No, I see it, and it's 
he doesn't he doesn't understand, does he? He bet he doesn't really grasp the gravity of the situation. A foot chase is always more tense as well, isn't it, than a car chase? Because there's always the element in a car chase of how are you actually going to stop them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a little bit of protection in there. Yeah. And so him running through a glass window. I'm sure the police should probably do better to get him in a recovery position when he's been knocked unconscious, but they clearly aren't too fussed in this case. Yeah, well, that's it. They're probably just happy <laughs> that they caught him, but I was thinking about the recovery position. You'd think that would be the first port of call. Yeah. What do you think about the music in this? Because that was something that Uncut Gems was really lauded for as well. They do the same thing. I mean, I'm not... I'm not that fussed about the music in it, but it all fits together really well. It's, it's well chosen, well selected. The, there's a quote from uh, Daniel Lopatin, who did the music, and he says, We looked at the music in good time as another character. There are 50 minutes of music in this 100-minute movie. The conceptual thing I was working on was time, and that when time becomes apparent to you, then you're in trouble. Yeah, it's all very technical. It does work. Yeah, anytime you hear any music in this, you know, oh, for fuck's sake, someone's yeah, in trouble. Sounds like it's going to go bad. Um, one of the main themes of the film, I think, is conflict. And Robert Pattinson was asked about Connie's behaviour in the film. And he said, there are certain elements of Connie that you as a person really object to. In the first scene when I break Nick out of his therapy session, we shot in an active hospital and there were lots of mentally handicapped people around and Josh was like, say to Nick, this is what you think you are. And I told him, I can't say that. That's fucking crazy to say that. And it's like, no, that's a thing. He refuses to accept that there's anything wrong with his brother simply because he's his brother. There's definitely a narcissistic streak throughout and I think that's a typical thing among lifelong criminals as well. I mean, amongst lifelong criminals, it uh, there has to be some sense of narcissism. You have to really, really feel a lot, think a lot, feel a lot of yourself. And I thought Robert Pattinson might be a man after your heart when I saw this quotation from him. He said, "I find it so interesting when people look at a movie and they try to and they try to immediately define it by something with which they can relate to, where people say." Oh, I empathise with it because I understand the character's beliefs and motivation, blah, blah, blah. It's far more interesting when I don't understand the character's motivation, when a character has contradictions that are impossible to resolve, and it's fun to play as well because you can pull from anywhere and it feels more realistic for me. There doesn't need to be a reason for everything. Mm, almost. Almost. Now, in terms of the conflict in this film, there's two moments in particular that you can point to him kissing a 16 year old girl yeah predatory not good and just the whole relationship with her where he's very clearly just manipulating her to get everything that he wants when she's already said her age and I think it ties in again with Uncut Gems, where there isn't really a protagonist in Uncut Gems, is there? You root for Howard, despite the fact that he's clearly an awful person, he doesn't treat his kids well, he doesn't treat his wife well, he has this piece on the side that he doesn't treat well either. 
all the while he's gambling and gambling and gambling and he he never knows when to stop. And in this, you find yourself rooting for Connie while getting a reminder every so often, far more frequently than than perhaps it feels, that this isn't the type of person you should actually be rooting for. And that's very clear one. Then pouring the acid on the security guard. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, very. Uh, I felt my heart went out to the bloke, to be honest. Yeah, the, the film does a really good job of just conveying the desperation that he feels immediately. And he's just he, he's just acting out of desperation from the first minute to the last. And it also just shows really the, the futility or just the, the worthlessness of a lot of this crime. Like the ending sequence of him being put in the back of a police car, Ray falling off the building. Yeah, you're like, what was it all for? Like they didn't achieve anything. They could have cut their losses at multiple points and walked away. Like Connie doesn't even know anything about this acid until three quarters of the way through the film. And he ultimately loses his life in the end because he's trying to get an extra 15 grand out of it. It could be easy money, don't it? It could be, but that's the thing. They, there's never an end point for this because there's always something that's going to be slightly easier money. And well, it yeah. just keeps going and going and going. But you're giving his sole motivation to you is, is him trying to break his brother out and nothing more. So it, it, that, that's what it's for. Or trying to get his brother out. Sorry, he does end up breaking. <laughs> what, what was your reaction when you realised it was the wrong person? Um, I was, well, I probably a bit too harsh, to be honest with you. <laughs> I basically just like, yeah, well, he's, a, he's a dick, but then you actually realise his whole face is covered and he can't speak because he's basically Sparko, so you're only doing it by size and by the side side of his uh side of his hair really isn't you yeah I, I always find it in films when they're telling someone to shut up and they won't when they need them to be quiet and i always think just why aren't you just shutting up in this instance i still have sympathy for the bloke where it's you've just woken up you have no clue where the hell you are the last yeah the last thing you remember is jumping out of a car and then you're just in this dingy room, no lighting, and just some bloke jumping on top of you. It's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's not 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 a great time for our right. No, <laughs> we should probably look at the the policing in the hospital at this point. Just challenge to get a coffee. Thought, yeah, I was saying. <laughs> um, also, I mean, the quality of the handcuffs that he can just boot it a few, <laughs> a few times yeah. and he's out. Um. That's a, that's another sequence, isn't it? As as much as the rest of the film, the nerviness of him peeking around the corners, trying to get him out slyly, even just getting on that bus, everything is is just so well done. Yeah, he's got a charm to him, isn't he? People keep throwing themselves to help him. Yeah, yeah, sort of friendly face. Um, actually, I don't know if he has a friendly face in this, but friendly uh, demeanor, clearly. I don't even think he's got that bit, but people no. seem to work. Just New York, I guess. I've not seen After Hours by Scorsese, but I saw this being compared to it. Uh, I haven't seen it either, to be honest. And it's just another one of those uh, all-in-a-night kind of things where anything that can go wrong does go wrong. The other comparison was Harold and Kumar, but that felt felt a bit off-key. Yeah, it definitely is. I I thought one of the most well-done scenes 
was Ray explaining how he got to this situation. Their whole conversation when he's had a few beers and stuff, I enjoy. Yeah. It's just not about him being locked at least basically shot you with the general you're going nowhere. Yeah. That, that but that's that's his whole character where he says, You think you're better than me? He says, well I am. I'm mm. better than you. Like what and then back and forth. But him explaining the whole look, I got out of prison, my mate meets me, we're having a drink, what are you gonna do? This why would they drop me outside a liquor store? And it just goes on and on and on. And you get so engrossed in this character that you just heard speak for the first time about two minutes before. And yeah, it's just really, really well done. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff that's quite well done in this, to be fair. I don't know where you stand on this. So the character of the girl, she is in there. She does everything that's asked of her. She is kind of there angel in the dark that's just getting them through this situation they provide her with food a place to stay a car at the point where she's being arrested the fact that he turns his back and leaves is supposed to paint him in a bad light i'm not sure what he's supposed to do in that in that in that stage well yeah i don't know how to phrase this for something terrible but Considering what he's done, he can't say anything because it's gonna go, it will will end up a lot worse. Yeah, and how do you explain that? <laughs> yeah, he's bang. He's he's against it at that point. So unfortunately, he's just got to do what he's got to do. I think there's also uh, something the filmmakers are trying to convey in that she hasn't done anything, and the police immediately put her in the back of a police car when there's no reason to do so. No, no, not at all. Certainly not in the way they do. If it's a Oh, you shouldn't be out here. We need to get you home safe. But it's not. It's a. What are you doing here? And they like they're like forcing her head first into the car. Um, yeah. There's definitely something to that that they're trying to get across. Yeah, it 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 is, and it, they should obviously take the former, the the first of those lines, but they just don't. Is this a film that you could or would watch again? I could. I doubt I will. Because it, it, it's hard to feel that same energy the second time, isn't it? Yeah, I would imagine so. Really would. The the ending. Did you like that he doesn't get away with it? When you look, we spoke about the town a fortnight ago. And they do get away with it. And we were saying, traditionally, in this type of film... It's almost like we can't let you get away with this. We need to show that you guys don't win. In See, this situation, object, my, in this particular film, my objection with isn't that oh, it's, he's doing a bad thing or anything like that. He's actually just not very good. He's not a career criminal, though, is he? he? Doesn't this is this is more what it should be like? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But he gets caught because of the choices and the mistakes he made. It's not like yeah. there's some brilliant detective after him or something. Then it turns on a dime. He just makes mistakes. No, and you don't even get the uh, you don't get the going out swinging moment, do you? He goes out quite a feeble way. He tries to run away, doesn't he manage does it. Best, doesn't he? he just gets taken out. Yeah, so you you don't have it's not Jeremy Renner having his last mm-hmm. sip of his drink and coming out from behind uh, the post box and saying, "This is my last stand. You're not taking me alive." 
this as far as police arresting people are, I would say, fairly simple. Yeah. It's a and simple that fits, crime. That fits it's, well in the film, doesn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, it's a simple crime, it's simple acts. There's no real forethoughts on it. You don't know what pl- the planning into the bank, there's obviously some, but from there, it's just all fucking, it's just a car crash. Yeah, because I think it wouldn't fit the film if all of a sudden it was in your face, blaze of glory. No. And he goes out like that. This 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 is works very well, and it does tie in then with the ending and I spoke about the kind of conflict before you see the care facility at the beginning and the end of the film and it shows the two brothers perspectives so in the first instance Nick's hitting a breakthrough and Connie barrels in and says is this what you think you are and then at the end Nick sees that they almost treat him better than his family he says that he's been abused by his grandmother early in the film and you see him start to join in by the end of this sequence in which they real say sad. a family member's taken advantage of you and yeah real sad hit me out that it's really really well done like, mm. we usually try and say could they have ended this better i don't know a better way they could have ended it i think it all tied in very well because whether we should feel that way or not and we definitely shouldn't have if when they have him in with the uh, police and he just flips on his brother and he said, I didn't want to do it. He made me do this. I didn't want to do it. Whether we should or not, we would feel some kind of way about him throwing his brother under the bus. Oh, yeah. He stays silent. He quite literally takes a beating for his actions when he knows no better. And then at the end, you just have this hope that he's going to get the help that he needs. And you you feel the right way about Connie in that he tried to get his brother out and Ultimately, he he achieved it in the end, one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you know, I suppose he's just trying to keep him alive, but he's trying to bail him up before he learns about the fight. Yeah. So, I mean, but, I mean it just he got him into the situation. He's ensuring yeah. he's, he's getting him out of it. Well, yeah. He says a couple of times, he's done, he's like, as soon as it goes to court, excuse me, it will get thrown out. And I think that's probably the way it would have gone. Can you imagine caring enough about whatever restaurant you work in to be barreling down the door when someone goes into a toilet, by the way? <laughs> that guy that worked in that Domino's is mental. No, he's just doing his job, ain't he? Leave him alone. He's doing his job, I know, but after the first couple of bangs on the door, I've got to assume the guy isn't coming out until he's ready. You're probably just making things worse for everyone in the restaurant at that point. That's a Domino's. How good is it really going to get? Get some good dominoes. Yeah, but you want to sit in a dominoes? No, no. But I also don't want someone shouting, get out of the toilet if I am. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, this has made me take a look back, and I tried asking today if what the Safdies have done previously is worth watching, if it has that same feel. But regardless, I can't wait for whatever they do next. I know they're working with Sandler, and that's locked in. So I'll, I'll be yeah, at the front. Of, I'll be at the front of the queue for whatever they do do next. Do you have you any idea what that is? No. Sandler was asked about it, and he said, "I'd love to tell you, but I feel it, it's not right coming from me. It's it's on them." But I know it's uh, it's not a comedy, so it's going to be an uncut gems esque. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, it seems Fair. at this point that's what they know how to do. So. Yeah. Benny, though, uh, Benny was in the new Kenobi series as an actor. Not, then I've not seen it. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have recognised him. But he's clearly doing both. So fair play to him. Mm. And I like that. I like. Yeah. It's not them giving Robert Pattinson a chance, and it's not them giving Adam Sandler a chance. It would be foolish to say that. But what it is them doing is it's them recognising that there's more to these actors than 90% of people would have you believe. And I do really admire that in what they've got out of these two guys in their, in possibly the two best performances of their careers. I, but what they do for them both is they just give them... They just give them the chance to be some something different, don't they? Like Gems, you've never seen Sandler do anything like that. So you give them the chance to be different, and I mean, they obviously they have to go and you give them, you hand them the script and stuff, but they and they have to go and deliver. But it seems their formula is take a guy you might not expect and see what they can put out there for you. And it's obviously working very well so far. And I don't know what they're like behind the scenes, but they clearly have the trust of these two guys as well in that they're willing to take the direction and do exactly what they say. And obviously, it's worked very well. Yeah, I mean, it's like cause I, I, honest, I know nothing about about them other than these two films. I don't know where they come from. They're thirty years old when they do Good Time. It's not very old now, mate. So what, thirty-five? Yeah, exactly. And they're young guys in the grand scheme. I mean, they're obviously a few few years older than you and I, but the young guys in the grand scheme of things, and like thirty years old, and to direct a film to breathe this into existence like regardless of what you think about it if you stop and look at it it's just shot it's so different isn't it? I, I i i think what you said earlier is bang on the nail actually i think i think our reaction to this would be if we'd have watched this in 2018 pre seeing uncut gems i think our reaction we we'd be talking about this a lot more like yeah. sorry in a lot more excited terms obviously we're talking yeah about the podcast but it's annoying because uh, Aladino actually recommended this to me about three or four years ago. Yeah. And just said, this is really good. And I saw Robert Pattinson, which look, hands up now, clearly I saw that. And I just saw all, all the neon lights and thought, mm, I'll get to it. And then as soon as we locked in for this, I've just been waiting to see it. And anytime we've done that really in this season so far, it's been more I've been disappointed due to expectation than I've been uh, pleased. And so I was a bit worried. And then I stuck this on and I had it with uh, The Town when we did it. I had it with The Godfather and countless other films. But I've just been thinking about it nonstop since I watched it on Monday. That's Um, good for a film. Like something you've not seen before, that's always nice. Yeah, as soon as... As soon as I finished it, I thought, that's really good. Because I've referenced on here before, when I'm enjoying a film that much for the first time, I hit a point where I'm like, okay, I just need you to stick the land in here. If you stick the land in, then I'm going to be speaking positively about this. And as it's building up and building up and building up, you can have a worry. But no, I thought they, they did it well even before I saw the final scene with him, mm-hmm. him back at back at the care facility, and I thought that is just perfect. Yeah. No, no, it does end really well. 
it does. Even the way that Ray fallen and stuff, even that's not exactly over. No. I can't even over the top. I'll just say yeah. I can't say what say. It, it take it takes some level of bravery even as the director too to play a mentally handicapped character like they're doing this here. This was wild to me yesterday. Because the so first wild. thing I did was look up who was playing the character because yeah, I, I didn't know what the Safdies looked like. And then I saw it's a direction. I thought, okay, that is interesting. And because that can go, if you get that wrong, you're getting, you're out of here. Because if it looks like you're almost parodying that mm-hmm. person, you're done. But I think they're I, quite respectful about it. He's not, it, they like, almost do less is more, don't they? Evil. He's not, he's not stupid. Like he's not overplayed in any sense of the word, whatever. I don't even know what the word is, whatever sort of learning. Yeah, they, they let the, the narrative package. do the talking. Yeah. And it and so it, it, it works so well. The trust in that for what he's got that he has for his brother comes to the fore. It makes ultimately what unfolds so much sadder, but they don't ever play it for a laugh or play it over the top. No. Like This the, is supposedly what, what taught that what spun Matt Reeves into saying he wanted Patterson to be his Batman. Yeah, it's very different roles, I suppose. But I assume the films have to be something quite different, totally. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know. I think he he probably saw the darkness in the character feels quite cringy, but maybe just saw the different elements. And a lot of the stories after this show spoke about what he was willing to do for the role. And so I, I guess all of that goes a long way. Yeah, no, I can see that. Anything else to add or we'll move on to our second film of the day? No, not a great deal for me, mate. Okay, let's move on to Memento. I have this condition. It's my memory. Richard Roper of Ebert and Roper in the Movies calls Memento easily the best film so far this year. See it once and you've got to see it again. My wife deserves vengeance. But even if you get revenge, you're not going to remember it. Ingenious, you'll want to stay in the theater and see it again. The one entertainment experience this year worth repeating. I've told you this before, haven't I? Memento, rated R. A man with short-term memory loss attempts to track down his wife's murderer. What do you think the critics thought of this? Seven out of ten. And had you seen this before? No, I knew what, no. I knew what it was about. Yeah. Uh, this brain-teasing mystery put Christopher Nolan on the map as a filmmaking force. So this was the first time he was given a budget, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, think of all the ways that a linear film structure stabilizes us the cause and effect chain of events but Memento is about a character completely destabilized so Nolan destabilizes us accordingly in a way maybe no other movie has Memento would only be half as fun with only one gimmick or the other instead the backward storytelling and the frozen man make for a wonderful, wonderful pair combining into something far more redemptive than it sounds. Mm. Writer-director Christopher Nolan's second film is one of the most original and ultimately confounding mind games to reach the screen since The Usual Suspects. And the astonishing payoff takes the film to another level entirely, 
unleashing a battery of existential questions that shed new light on everything that precedes it. Mm. Let's start with the casting because this obviously could have gone a very different way. So Brad Pitt expressed interest in signing up to play Leonard, but ultimately had to pass on the project due to other commitments. Christopher Nolan then said he didn't want to consider any other A-list actors because he realised that having a talented but lesser-known lead actor would allow for the film's budget to be more evenly distributed. That led to him nearly casting Aaron Eckhart in the role, who he eventually works with in uh, The Dark Knight, but giving the role to Guy Pearce. Yes, good choice. I, 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 can't, knock, I can't, can't knock it. Guy Pierce's enthusiasm reportedly was what got him over the line. He was calling Nolan and telling him how enthusiastic he was about the project, his interest, asking the right questions. <coughs> and that got it over the line. His mm. first choice for the role was actually Alec Baldwin. I wouldn't have liked that. Above Brad Pitt. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have enjoyed that. No, the others that were considered for the role were Aaron Eckhart, as I said, Charlie Sheen. I feel like you would have liked that a lot more than I would. <laughs> and uh, Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. Name rings about. I'm just not sure it is. I'm trying to place him. He was in uh, Boogie Nights as Todd. No. He was in the uh, 2004 Punisher. He's in a load of films from like back then. Predator, yeah. Deep Blue Sea, that kind of thing. Okay. <clears throat> on, on the other side, Ashley Judd, Famke Janssen and Angelina Jolie were all considered for the role of Natalie. Famke Janssen. Yeah, it feels like she would have slipped right into this. Yeah, she's got that. I mean, it's not a nice thing to say about someone. That kind of dead between the eyes like I've maybe seen dead, some things dead behind the eyes I think you're trying to say yeah did I just wake up an hour ago but I also do still look pristine mm. she's got that kind of look that Carrie Ann Moss is able to do in this yeah I get you Ashley Judd what would this have been a couple of years after doing Heat yeah well quite a few I suppose isn't it? four years Oh, four, yeah, four or five, yeah. She'd probably do it. Carrie-Anne Moss does get the role. Uh, coming off the back of The Matrix. Yeah, she's absolutely she's pretty big at this point, isn't she? Yeah, it's her that recommends uh, Joe Pantoliano for the role of Teddy. Yeah, she says course, they became so good friends while working on The Matrix. Uh, Nolan had reservations because they thought he was just so clearly a villain at this point and they didn't think that he'd be able to really play it uh, with more subtlety. They bring him in and they say pretty swiftly they realised that he was absolutely the right guy for the part. They were... They felt quite bad about the way they were looking down on his talents, shall we say. Mate, he's the ultimate character actor. He's fucking everything. It's quite a big role though, this. Yeah, I know. He's still essentially a character actor, isn't he? And he's a villain in The Matrix, and he's like, I guess I can see what they're saying, but um, he does a very good job in this. He does a good job in pretty much everything he's yeah. in, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mentioned with 
uncut gems. In, sorry. If he was a little bit. If he was more attractive, he would have been a leading man. <laughs> yeah. That's just the way it worked 25 years ago. Just facts. Best as Ralphie, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, he's very good as Ralphie, to be fair. So I mentioned with Uncut Gems and with Good Time that you had a real feel that this was a Safdie film, despite just having the two of them. Now, Christopher Nolan is probably up there alongside Scorsese and Tarantino, at least for us, in where you can look at their filmography and just say, that's a Nolan movie. Um, Yeah. Inception, Memento, Insomnia, following Interstellar, Tenet, The Prestige, and I guess all three Batman films are about deception at the heart of them. And whether that's deception within the film, or whether that's just trying to deceive you as an audience, that's a real thing he has going right through his films. Dunkirk perhaps isn't done the same way, but then it's edited in the same way. So it does still look like a Nolan movie there. Mm, This slots right in. This is his first one of, if you walk away saying you don't know what happened, I've done my job. Yeah. It's just fucking very pretentious, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, he complained after Tenet that it wasn't complicated enough. I've still not seen that. Yeah, don't go out of your way. <laughs> no, I think that's why I didn't. You told me, you didn't tell me good things. I listened to you. I'm more inclined to not Listen. watch something if you tell me I'm not going to enjoy it than if you watch, to watch something if you tell me that I am going to enjoy it. Doesn't feel good, that. Really? Um, no. Oh, I don't meant that as a compliment. I'd rather it was the other way around if I say see something and that's like the stamp of approval. A lot more pressure that way though. Yeah, but I like a stamp of rejection. Like when you say, because mm, I know it's a measured opinion. You're not saying it out of, you're never saying it out of hand. Whereas you could just like something. We do have differences. <laughs> well, when I was about 10 minutes into this film, I thought Keenan's not going to like this film. Yeah, you're probably, yeah, you're pretty much bang on. Now, I do like that, Ian. I know we I realize it's because we do, we do the podcast together. But I like the fact that I answer your thoughts. I didn't think you'd like Good Time, to be honest. I was quite surprised when I got your message back. Uh, um, it's just the Good Times. There was no. I, I mean, the the wonderful thing about knowing zero about it, barring the synopsis, is the level of expectation was. It's an, my my original thought was eh, it's only an hour and forty one. Yeah, there's no other thought other than that. the the key thing with Memento is understanding the timeline isn't it and I mean I think I understand it at this point the black and white scenes are working forward the Mm colour scenes are working backwards until they meet in the middle and then they blend yes sir what you can do is there's a limited edition DVD that came out that allows the movie to be watched in the exact chronological order of the events in the film now, this is where you could still get like cheat codes on DVDs. So the first couple of scenes of the regular cut are still, of the swiveled cut are still uh, in the order from the proper film, the first few scenes, and then it goes into it. But they make it very hard to reach this version. They say you have to answer several questions of trivia, solve a puzzle, and then forward, reverse, and chapter skip to get into this version now i've not seen it in action but this is just what i've read they make it hard to find and it was put on youtube up until it was easier for people to uh, copyright these things so 
there's a lot of people that saw this at the time that were then able to watch it a couple of years later chronologically for free online. Mm. Fair. Um, whenever Lenny wakes up, when his short-term memory resets, he can't remember what he was doing or how he got there. And then we start a new scene and we too are kind of totally in the dark regarding everything that's just happened. So they do a good job in making us feel his frustration and disorientation throughout. Particularly for the first 45 minutes. Yeah. With the first 45 minutes, the, the scenes feel shorter. They feel a lot more jumbled. It feels a lot more like they're going over the same ground constantly. Pays off in the end, because I did text you about halfway through. Like, I'm really not feeling this. And mm. I said to you or Tika, I hope this has the kind of Jackie Brown effect, where the second half of Jackie Brown I enjoyed so much that it gave me the appreciation for the first half, because I liked how it was being put in place. No, you did say that to me. And I think this is similar. Uh, I don't think... Not to the same extent. but No, no. No, but I, if I'm going to sit through something that feels tedious, I at least need there to be a reason behind it. And I did feel that when I got to the end of this, I could understand the reasoning. Hmm. It's oh, just yeah. really cleverly edited here. Uh, the medical condition experienced by him in the film is a real condition called anterograde amnesia. So it's the inability to form new memories after damage to the hippocampus. During the 1950s, doctors treated some forms of epilepsy by removing parts of the hippocampus, and that resulted in the same memory problems. Did it cure the epilepsy? I don't know that part, but I'm assuming I'm not. not. Aware for, I'm not I, don't, I don't want to talk about people who suffer epilepsy condition or very little about but. I just, I, I don't, I, I don't know I don't if know. that's a, a worth, even if the case was yes, no. is that a worthwhile trade-off? No. I don't know. No. Just a couple of bits of trivia before we kind of break down the film. Uh, during Teddy's line, you don't have a clue, you freak. Kevin Nolan felt that Pantoliano did not quite deliver the end of the line. So he actually decided to re-record the last two words himself. Did you just say Kevin Nolan? No, Christopher Nolan. Did. You definitely said Kevin Nolan. Well, that would be fantastic if he was directing it, but I don't think I did. I maybe, think I just said well, Nolan. I honestly believe, or maybe I heard Kevin Nolan. Listen to it back, but I swear to God, yeah. you just said Kevin Nolan. And I like, I just thought it was awesome because I haven't thought about Kevin Nolan <laughs> in a long time. We, me and TK did do a 2007-2008 Premier League podcast last week, so maybe he's on the brain. That's um, a shit house as well. Yeah. Was the other one that you saw at tops with Kevin, Kevin Davis? Davis. Uh, well, for pure albums. So anyway, uh, he didn't like how he'd said the words, so he re-recorded them himself, impersonating Pantoliano's voice, and added that into the final cut. Joey was unaware of the dubbing until an interview for a documentary about the film that was shot also in two thousand and one. That's so fucking pretentious. <laughs> Don't do a documentary about your own film. Scorsese does that as well. Yeah, but that, yeah, there's a big difference between Scorsese. It's, it's, it's like there are things that Messi does that League Two players shouldn't be doing. <laughs> Nolan, League Two is harsh. I'm oh. just making, but the the principle. Really, I get so you. I'm not calling Nolan League Two. I'm just saying Scorsese, the king. 
Does it shock you that the film only took 25 days to shoot? No, not really. It was low budget at the time. It was always going to be a quick shoot. I, I, I think, think it was a big movies. budget at the time. Was I think it all of his movies. Don't, don't, doesn't he shoot everything quite quickly? Isn't that one of his things? I don't know. Uh, I just assumed the bigger the budget, the, the more uh, time you spend. The 25 days felt very quick for a film like this. But I guess maybe there's not that many that. scenes, so maybe not. I thought his whole, his, one of his things was that he shot quickly. Maybe I'm just making that up. I guess it's kind of one long scene just diced up in this case, isn't it? So maybe it's just easier to shoot that way. Now, I don't know if you're a Radiohead fan. Um, Paranoid Android was originally going to be used in the closing credits but Nolan decided that the royalties needed to use the song would be too great for this film. I don't even know what that song is, mate, to be honest. That means nothing to me. Or you're a Radiohead guy. I, I'm not. Can we talk about the ending and maybe work backwards? If you wish. What do you make of the ending? How, how do you think, how do you interpret it? No, I'm not saying about the message, but there's various ways that you can take this ending as to whether you believe that he is Sammy or whether you believe he isn't, whether you believe there were two two uh, guys there, two killers, whether there was one. It's, it's oh, very vague. I took it as he, as he is and he tries to he tries to deal with the consequences after the fact. For the short time that he's aware of aware of the situation, he deals with the, deals with the consequences. So does so he so you think he kills his wife with yeah. the insulin like Sammy does? Yeah. How how would I don't understand how that would work because that is the common theory. But if he can't remember anything after being hit on the head, then surely he wouldn't remember that reason that way of his wife dying. So it's just how I read it. But maybe I was it's, just it's, it's it what's told to him, but I didn't I didn't understand it. Yeah. Maybe I've swallowed why I've just taken it and taken it at face value. There is something to back that up. So the scene where they show Sammy sitting in a mental institution, just as someone walks in front of him in the chair, you get a half second where it switches to being Leonard sat in the chair. Hmm which would suggest that he is Sammy. Um, A little Fight Club vibe for you. Yeah. And right as the movie's ending, while he's driving the car, there's... Actually, this I guess is something else. Um, Yeah, there's, there's the theory that maybe his wife's alive the whole time. How does that work? Right as the movie's ending, while he's driving a car, there's a very quick cutaway shot that's maybe two seconds long in which he closes his eyes and we see his wife lying on his chest uh, and he has a tattoo that says, I've done it. Mm. Fair enough. No, I just didn't, didn't, didn't take that on board. In because film. Cause earlier, earlier in the film, uh, which <clears> may have been <throat> later going by the exact timeline, that space is empty when he tells a woman that he's going to get a tattoo when he finally kills the guy he's been chasing. So, this is what I mean. There's so much put in place to say you don't really know how this ended. Yeah. I mean, he sets his stall out early, doesn't he, Chris? 
there's certain things we are sure of. So unless you're going to tell me different, there was definitely a break in. Mm-hmm. That he was definitely hit over the head. Yeah. Um. He's definitely been doing some jobs for Teddy unknowingly. He's there, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the manipulation definitely seems to, to, to be taking yeah. place. So there's some, and then the things we're unsure of definitively is whether he is Sammy. Now, Sammy may have just been a person that, as he says, he dealt with that case previously, or it could, or it could be different. Um, The twist is almost that it's Leonard that sets himself up to kill Teddy, regardless of Teddy's guilt. This isn't just a guy trying to track down the person that killed his wife. By the end of the film, we aren't looking at him as such a hero as we're trying to paint him as for the rest of the film. No, the sympathy sympathy runs out a little bit. Like, oh, the poor, misunderstood bloke. Yeah. He makes, he makes his own decisions. He or makes some of his own decisions. Yeah. At the beginning of the film, we see Leonard kill Teddy, and so we just assume Teddy's guilty. And then as the movie goes on, we watch it through that lens, and we see Teddy's actions as the actions of the villain who's trying to manipulate Leonard. And I guess <laughs> we find out they're both in the wrong. Yeah. There's no winner. There's no real winner, is there? Because at the end, it, it's revealed that Leonard fed himself his own misinformation. Teddy may have been guilty, but he could just as easily not have been in this instance. Like, he could have been telling the truth in that whole speech he has. But the point of the film is that it doesn't matter because Leonard believes it. And since he can forget that, he can set himself up to just give himself some short-term gratification. Yeah. And that's it, and it's just the futility of it all. Yes, it's it's very well done, and I would say if I compare it to Tenet, so this is the first of these and the last of these, this feels a lot less pretentious. Like I can feel everything that's going on here, I can see the different angles to it, and if your whole thing is making it ambiguous, then fair play. Um when you're shooting it through the lens of someone then you can kind of get away with doing that in the way that fight club does and i actually like the way they handle this better than how they do it in fight club to be honest if we're doing the big final twist kind of thing do you hmm. i'm surprised well, by that. my my thing with fight club and it's the same with uh what film do it uh now you see me and those when they kind of run it back and do that this is how it was all along there's always something in there that doesn't stack up for me and we did it with now you see me like the the guy from the fbi wouldn't be trying that hard to stop you like it just doesn't make sense like that and there's always something in there with this i think all of the timelines do or all of the all of the explanations do add up to provide a clearer picture than it was just this guy all along and you kind of just take it at face value and don't question anything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fair, I mean, it's a fair point. It just feels like a more feasible fair. version of events. Yeah, no, I get that. Sorry, I was just drifting away thinking about Fight Club. Um, no, I understand your point. And I think as a 
part of a film. I think maybe I prefer Fight Club, but I understand what you're saying. The payoff felt more significant in this to me, but I think it's because we can align ourselves more with he just wants to get the vengeance for his wife than uh, two fingers to the corporations. I ate Starbucks. Yeah. No, I get that. So that's, that's why I think it does really hit differently. I also quite like it's got that Pulp Fiction narrative structure in a way in that we do finish in the middle of the film like the timelines cross over and we finish in the middle of the film. We don't need to see the end because we know what happens already by that point. But I thought that was just an even more creative way to do it. Not just starting at the conclusion of the film but working back to the beginning and ending in the middle to even have that be moderately understandable takes some doing. Yeah. Well, and part of his thing is he's not that arse whether it's understood or not, is it? It's just that's the. the, the I think he probably is more so at this case because he doesn't have the reputation by now of being, it's a Christopher Nolan film, it's going to be hard to understand. And he said some things to back that up. My thinking on it is that after Inception, his head exploded and it was like, now I do quite literally have to make the most complicated film of all time. When, as we explained after we did Inception, it really wasn't that complicated if you just followed the film. No, I don't think it was. I would say suggest that this is more complicated than Inception. Yes, and but at this point, I don't think he's set out with the, I'm going to make the most complicated film in the world. I think when you adopt this structure, <laughs> it's always going to be somewhat complex. Yeah. But due to the fact that he is literally working on mementos, you're never going to be able to piece together the whole picture. And I guess that's what you're trying to drive home. Yeah. <clears throat> Fucking hell, my voice just broke. Yes, so I, I get home with you. Do you have a favourite scene or anything? There's a couple that stand out to me. I quite like the opening. Yeah. The, uh, Someone Mad way to start the, a film, isn't it? The Polaroid yeah, someone, someone dying in the in the opening of a film is always always makes it interesting. It's a I nice way to nice Polaroid way to of a head being like blown off. Yeah, it's a nice way to uh, it's a nice way to open a film always. Yeah, well, very, not a nice way, but it works. Yeah, it works very well. Um Do you think this is rewatchable or is this in that, that camp we've spoken about before of I've seen that once. I don't ever need to see that again. I think it is, but not for the reasons that some of the other things that I've said are in there. And I think, I think this is one of them that knowing the twist and knowing the ending takes a lot of the sting out of it. I, 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 I think it would be okay to watch again. Like, I think there's some okay that argue that watching it a second time gives you more clarity. See, I could. I was just going to say, watching it be pieced together, I think might be more enjoyable the second time around. But I think, so I don't know. I don't, I, to completely contradict myself, I'm not sure. This may be um, complete kind of Nolanism, but I also I saw another comment from someone that said, "You're almost not watching it in the way that the director intended a second time. Like, you're not supposed to have complete clarity watching this film because it's not a, it's not a film that provides complete clarity." I, I can see that argument. 
Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it might be. It would be interesting. I, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be over the. I wouldn't be rushing. I won't w- rush to watch it again. But I think it might be interesting to see it a second time around. Yeah. The scene in which Carrie-Anne Moss kind of gets full reign to just let him have it. And we get more clarity as to why, obviously, right at the conclusion of the film, that she recognises something's wrong. He's driving around in her boyfriend's car, wearing her boyfriend's clothes. Mm-hmm. All of these things. And she basically says, I can say whatever the hell I want to you right now, because there's nothing you can do about it. You're going to forget this in five minutes time. She hides all of the pens in the house, which is, is sadistic in that instance. But look, got to do what you got to do. It's, it's just a great scene for really driving home how helpless this guy is. Or oh, appears to be, as it, as it may actually be. Yeah, well, in that moment, he is helpless, isn't he? Well, like, yes, yeah. He has no idea how he's wronged her. Mm. But there, there is something to be said, isn't there, about, I guess, turning a blind eye is effectively what this film is, like blissful ignorance. Yeah, or that is not always. Yeah, but Teddy's right, isn't he? We all do it to ourselves in some aspects, but yeah, it's, it's fine. We are just aren't all killing, <laughs> killing people to satisfy that. Um, very interesting the the reveal of the Polaroids with him being all happy pointing to the place on his chest where he was going to get the tattoo if I had well I've already said I did any doubts I had at that point as to my feelings on the film just in that moment just all kind of tied together and I was able to give it a little nod like okay yeah, it, this, this was worth the previous hour and a half to get me to this moment because I enjoyed the reveal yeah it's a fair point like it does like I say it, it does tie it together well and it is it is interesting watching it get there that's I, I think watching it get there in the end is probably is probably more rewarding than the actual ending um, it's easy to say I suppose it's easy to say that after the fact that's that's why I think he's kind of trying to drive home that what we think is the twist isn't really the twist. The twist is that he doesn't care what happened. He just needs a purpose rather than what appears to us to be the twist in that, okay, this guy may have killed his wife. Yeah, I got that. I suppose it's sometimes it's not about the destination. It is just about the journey, isn't it? Yep. Which is that a quote from Good Time. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm sure it's definitely said in one of these two films. Is it? Maybe it was said in some sports I was watching the last two days. Maybe it is. I don't. I don't tell nobody. It's sure. I mean, it's actually. It's actually. Arteta says it in the trailer for the new All or Nothing. <laughs> What's that? It's not about. He, he says actually, it's 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 not about. He says, is it more about the journey or the destination or about the company? Something along those lines. Yeah, sometimes, uh, it's, sometimes it's not about the journey, it's about the destination, but sometimes it ain't about the destination, it's just about the journey. Well, his argument is about the company that you're on that journey with, so maybe that's why we think came fifth. Do you think this then justifies the progression that Christopher Nolan has? Because it's not like 
you've gone out the bat and you've got this billion dollar film you've been given you can quite clearly see his filmography and him kind of rising through the ranks to the point where he gets batman and then going from batman to interstellar and so on does he do next after this insomnia i believe with uh al pacino don't i don't think i've ever seen that i haven't but it's a similar line i i wrote down it's it's this or it's uh I think it's Insomnia and then Following, I think. Never seen Following. I've seen some of The Prestige, right? The Magician. Magician, yeah. Deception. Uh, That's the one. The Prestige is uh, Hugh Jackman and Christian Ben. Yeah. Yeah, I do know what that is. I know what happens at the end of it. I've not seen it. Okay. I won't tell you. I don't know if you'll ever watch it, but I started it previously, and then for some reason something prevented me, and I didn't go back. And when I say started, I mean I literally saw about twenty minutes, maybe if that. No, I've seen. I haven't seen it all, but I've seen a fair few bits of it, and I know what happens at the end. Um, unsurprisingly, yeah. What well, I saw. Uh someone trying to describe this film and they said it's one of those films that you can understand while watching actually i've got the quote here uh it's a complicated and intricate movie that's very easy to watch and to understand as you're watching it but one that becomes basically impossible to explain to someone who hasn't experienced it without sounding like a fool and there just aren't a lot of movies that work that way there, aren't a lot, there shouldn't be a lot of things in life that work that way. <laughs> Once you're experienced, you should be able to describe it. Because it, it is quite mad that you can come out of this film and the film has fairly uh, universal acclaim. It's far more positive reviews than negative. And we come out of it not knowing precisely who killed Leonard's wife, who Leonard is, or who Sammy Jenkins is, none of those are answered decisively in the film. Some would argue they're irrelevant if we can get to a conclusion of the film and not know those things, but yeah, it's it's brave to just not answer any of those. And as far as I could find, it's not one of them where Nolan's come out. Which film was it we did where the director came out after and basically said it shouldn't have been that hard to understand? That's... Christian Bale again. American Psycho. Yeah, where the director came out and was like, yeah, it shouldn't have been that hard to understand. The mm. lack of confirmation from Nolan tells me, no, this this is how it was supposed to be. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe he's trying to say something with it. It's written by his brother. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of his films are. Yeah. And so it may be one of those where maybe the two of them understood it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I didn't be, want to come on here and say look there's some things I here I don't understand and you're like well clearly this happened this happened this happened and it doesn't feel like that's the case no no I mean I don't think I'd do that to you anyway to be honest I wouldn't do it no, well, if, no, no not even in that way but it feels like we have enough of an idea of what happened to accept the film but there are some questions that maybe you leave the cinema after two of you have watched it and you can talk for 20 minutes but, but did this happen did that happen 
I think that I think a bid definitely would have been a lot of that. Yeah, big time. But definitely, and that's that, that's there's something to be said for that. If you can get people, keep get the conversation people going. Yeah, and keep people talking about it. I think there would there would have been a lot of that at the time. Yeah, if you drop this on Netflix now, um, as a like straight to Netflix one, if you dropped it say mid COVID, the same time that uh, Bird Box one came out, the the Twitter conversation with this would just be through the roof. Yeah, very quite very much so. Um, anything more you have to add, or we can go on to the judging? No, we can move to the judging one. Let me just get that on. Okay, so which film did you prefer? Good times. Same. And which do you think is more rewatchable? Memento. I think good time. So that would be a tie there. Yeah, I'm not sure on that one. I'm having a nightmare here, just filling out my little sheet. All right, which do you think is the best moment slash scene? The the end of the... It's down to two for me. Yeah, I've got a couple. Do they both happen to be a memento? No, no I've got the bank heist in Good Time and the reveal in Memento. I think all the cap the capturing Good Time is actually where I'm going with Ray and etc. And I'm gonna go for the bank heist. Okay. Close though. Uh, Do you have a best quote? Not overly. Do you? Which would you lean towards if you were going to go for the dialogue in one of the films? Probably good time, but a lot of that is just Ray, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does have he does have dimes. I was thinking of him in the car. Where <laughs> I, I actually wrote down in my notes, I just enjoyed, enjoyed him asking for some sliders like it was the most obvious thing in the world. Like, he, like she could have possibly have the nerve to say no to that question. Yeah. Well, he speaks a lot about his purpose as well, doesn't he, yeah, Connie? So I think something very important is happening. It's deeply connected to my purpose. I, to be honest, I just read that as a blag because he's trying to get her, dis- trying to distract her. I read it as very predatory. I did write another one down for him. Oh, um, when they're watching the news and he says, "You're gonna have to turn this over. I don't want to see them justify this shit." And that is how I think a lot of people feel watching the news, particularly. Um, MVP. Leonard. Yeah, gets away. <laughs> and more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why doesn't Teddy just kill him, by the way? Ultimately, he's keeping him around. He wants that 200 million that's in the boot or whatever, 200,000 that's in the boot. Yeah. I know he's been helpful in taking out some other guys. At a point, as soon as as soon as he knows he could be at risk, take him out. Correct. You don't even have to put a lot of thought into it. One morning when he 
it no, isn't he, quite he just awake. constantly banks on if I get through this next five minutes, I'm sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best side character. Ray. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be. Maybe the dog. <laughs> Which had you more on the edge of your seat? Good time. Agreed. There's a theory. So before his stories on the news every time in good time, they're talking about a dog fighting ring. And so there's a theory that one of the people behind that is the guy from the amusement park. And that's how he has this lovely plush apartment and this horrible dog inside there. But not something the Safdies ever confirmed. Which film had more action per minute? Memento. I'm going good time on that. I'll give you that. I, I, I'll give you that. Feels like there's more downtime in Memento from memory. And it's only about 10 minutes in, actually. Uh, best soundtrack? Good time. Yeah. Originality? Memento. Yeah, I agree. Bigger impact. Memento. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, it's Memento for me. Maybe make the argument good time least one cut gems, but then again, Memento just leads to yeah, <laughs> some of the highest grossing films ever. Done. Yeah. Uh, best opening scene. Memento. I'm going good time there. Just. Where do you cut the opening? So, uh, probably him taking him out of the facility. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Best ending? Um, I'm going to go good time because that, that stuck with me for, for a little yeah. bit. And which film had the better chemistry? Memento. Uh, a good time, sorry. Yeah, the whole thing with Memento is almost that they don't have chemistry because he doesn't recognise anyone. It's fucking impossible for him to have chemistry because he forgets you after five minutes. Yeah. So that is one. Eight three is the final scoreline. The most ties we've had in a while. Uh, so good time goes through to the next round. Christopher Nolan takes an L here. Next week we are into the crime comedy section as we have horrible bosses against Midnight Run. I'm just. I'm going to presume you've never seen Midnight Run. No, I haven't. No. Uh, don't think it'll be a fun. good to it but we'll get on to it next week i'm sure i'm sure it'll do a job it's De Niro, isn't it? yeah exactly and i like horrible bosses so looking forward to that thank you again for listening we'll be back goodbye